sometimes I think if I'd known the road in religious life that I have taken, would I have made the same decisions way back then when I was a youthful 20-year-old? Hello and welcome to Exceptional, the Santa Sabina ex-students podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and special thanks to the Ex-Students Association for making this happen. This is where we share stories, conversation and wisdom about you, ex-students, and everything that makes so many in our community exceptional human beings. In this episode, I catch up with ex-student and former principal, Sister Judy Lawson, and we talk about some lesser-known features of her life, from university study in Boston to being an election monitor in the 1994 South African elections. We'll also reminisce on that one time we both met Nelson Mandela himself. I hope you like it. Sister Judy, welcome to our podcast. Yes. Have you ever done a podcast before? No, I haven't, Sarah. I've listened to them and with much enjoyment. I'm glad that you said that because I haven't recorded one as well. But I reminded myself of a quote by a very famous person which is, it always seems impossible until it's done. Do you recall who might have said that? I think we, it might be somebody who we mutually admire and had the pleasure of meeting in Nelson Mandela. For our listeners who might not know you, what is your connection to Santa Sabina College? My connection, Sarah, stretches back a very long way in fact, to when I was a little year seven student, way back in the mid-1950s, and I came to boarding school at Santa and was there as a boarder through my secondary education. And then later on, when I entered the Sisters, um, I, I lived in the community for a time but taught out of primary schools out of um, Belfield and, um, and later St Martha's and then I went overseas to study and moved to various communities and came back as the religious education coordinator um, for about five years before I became principal. And how long were you principal for? I was principal for 21 years, to my amazement. And do you feel that things changed from the start to the finish? Like was there a different Santa Sabina that you left from the Santa Sabina that you started as principal? Yes, I, I think so, because it was a time of continuing change in education as still is happening today, of course. Speaking of education, did you ever get the chance to study abroad? I did, yes. Um, that was back in 1979, I think, and uh, the... Uh, we recognised at that time that the number of sisters teaching in the schools was diminishing quickly and our lay colleagues were taking up roles in the teaching of religious education. And it was decided that a couple of us um, would go overseas to study at Boston College, which had a wonderful reputation at that time for um, for religious education studies and um both Barry Clare and I studied a Master's of Religious Education, um, which took a couple of years, um, and we benefited from some wonderful 
lecturers at that time and people who um, are world-renowned, really, or at least in the Western world, for their uh, teachings and um, uh, and studies in religious education. People like Tom Groom and Mary Boyce and Maria Harris and Gabriel Moran and so on it would just be names to you, but they were luminaries in, in religious education, really. So it was a great time. And what was life like at Boston College for you? Uh, well, it was a wonderful experience to have that opportunity to study in another culture. And uh, it took certainly took a while to come to terms with the American culture, um, which I found to be quite different to um, uh, the way we did things in Australia, I think. Um, however, it was a, a tremendous experience to learn through that and to live in Boston, which is such a cultural, um, a great cultural centre. So even though we didn't have much money, we managed to get ourselves off to free concerts and um, different uh, activities such as that. So the Boston Symphony and um, at times where you could get really cheap seats on a Sunday afternoon, which was something that we often did and, and loved doing. That's, re that's really interesting. Did you face any barriers in getting yourself overseas to study? Um, no, not, not really. Um, we were well provided for and uh, probably just coming to terms with the, the climate because it's uh, quite a different climate around Boston. Um, but no, we, there, I, I didn't feel that. I did feel probably that um, we seemed to be so quiet by comparison with the American students who always had plenty to say about everything in class. And I think, oh, I, I don't know anything. <laughs> but when it came to the point, of course, we, we did know quite a bit. <laughs> Speaking of Nelson Mandela before, do you recall when we travelled to Rushcutters Bay together? Yes, I do. <laughs> yes. It was so exciting, wasn't it, Sarah? It to, was. Uh, it, was a little, it was a little bit uh, like special ops. So in the year 2000, Sister Judy and I got to meet Nelson Mandela in Sydney down at Rushcutters Bay. I remember he wore a matching white sports tracksuit and a green baseball cap. It was just before the Sydney Olympics. Yes. Um, it was all very, very top secret. Um, but one of the things that I recall from that um, was you always pushing me forward. So even in the crowd, even when we're there in the presence of Mr. Nelson Mandela, you pushing me forward, like, no, 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 you go yes. say hello. Um, I remember that and myself and I was so pleased with myself because you sat down in a chair just beside him and talked to him for a number of minutes. Um, and obviously yep. other people, if he was talking with somebody, um, nobody else approached him at the same time. So I was really proud of that moment, Sarah, of you getting your time with him. I was very happy. Speaking of Nelson Mandela, can you tell me about election monitoring in South Africa? In around um, 1990, I think it was, and the apartheid era was still very much in full force in South Africa, um, there came a visitor to um, Sydney and uh, it was his sister, Michael, who... 
uh, was a, a, from a community of all black sisters uh, at uh, Montebello down in Natal. And Michael had been the principal of the school at Montebello and had a very, very hard time because this was at a period when black students were uh, revolting against the style of education they were receiving by comparison with white students, as you know, it was totally different. And so they they were very, it was a very difficult time. And uh, that year, Michael was sent out for a time of renewal here in Sydney. And I asked her to come to Santa Sabina and speak to the students, which she did. And then around St. Dominic's Day that year, she came uh, dressed in a beautiful red outfit her Zulu dress and danced for us on Dom's plot and begged us that to, she taught us the freedom song, begged us to sing that song, especially when Nelson Mandela was released and when freedom came, freedom is coming. And so we remembered that. But the great thing was that some of the student leaders, hearing Sister Michael speak about her experience begged us to see if there were ways that the school could support Michael and the sisters at Monte and students at Montebello. And thus we began that project of support for Montebello, which has developed into Santa Fest and supports Montebello and a range of other uh, services. Then in early 1994, the Australian bishops, along with the South African bishops, uh, were asked to provide some monitors in South Africa. And I happened to be one of the lucky persons chosen for that. And I went there in January, along with a number of other Australians, and we were sent into Natal province, where there was a lot of bad uh, blood between the Gazulu Natal party and the ANC. Uh, so it was a a, a, you know, a really interesting and uh, challenging time for us. And it was on that occasion that I met Sister Sheila Flynn. And <laughs> yes, on returning to and uh, returning home, uh, after a year or two, I asked Sheila to come out here for a conference that we, mm -hmm. education conference we were running. And Sheila came. And a little bit after that, we, uh, concocted the idea of what a wonderful thing it would be. By this time, the, um, the South Africa had had their first elections and Nelson Mandela was president and so on. And uh, we concocted the idea of bringing students from Santa Sabina to visit both at Montebello and at Copenhagen, where Sister Sheila ran a project for women. Did you like working at Santa Sabina? Yes, I did. Um, being principal wasn't always an easy position to hold. Tell us about the establishment of Mary Bailey House. I was very aware that a lot of young teachers, young married women, uh, would, were teaching in, at Santa Sabina and Del Monte and they would uh, come uh, to tell me that they were uh, expecting a bab and they would need time off and release uh, from teaching for a period of time. And, but they would also um, agonise when their paternity leave position had ended or was about to end, 
and they planned to come back to work, but they had to leave a little one at home. They were really good teachers, and we started to think about what could we do to support them so that they could return to work and the excellence of their teaching, but at the same time know that their child had very good um, care um, in terms of uh, child care and, and uh, everything that they needed to go with that by way of it being a good educational program. So we investigated it and uh, with the help of the board, um, the college board and people on that and several of our staff who were very instrumental in supporting that work, um, we eventually, after some difficulty, I might say, were able to establish Mary Bailey House, a purpose-built childcare centre, a work-based uh, childcare centre where staff uh, could feel confident in returning to work and knowing that their little ones were really uh, well cared for. Do you ever think you'll retire? No, no. Sisters don't retire. I think that's true of each one of us. And uh, After I finished at Santa, I, I had a break um, for 12 months or more. I now do some work with um, congregations of brothers and sisters who are realising, we're realising through uh, a knowledge of Catholic Religious Australia that a number of religious congregations are moving towards closure because we don't have young people joining us anymore and, um, and thus need to prepare for a time when there won't be um, sisters and, and brothers uh, in in religious life. So it will be a very different period. So I do some work with that group. Are you able to comment on what does that work look like? What what type of decisions need to be to be made? Yes. Well, I could say a little bit about that, Sarah, because uh, above all, um, at one time, uh, if congregations were getting low in numbers and so on, there was a movement towards amalgamation or joining together of like-minded congregations and so on. And uh, that has surpassed a little bit. And now um, the sisters, and there are certainly more cases of women's congregations than of the men, but the sisters are saying that they want to continue to live their religious lives as they have lived them and with a sense of ministry and, and mission right up to the day they, the last sister dies. And so um, the work really comprises us um, talking with the groups and helping people to understand what it would mean if there aren't, if the congregation is not going to continue uh, well into the future. And there are all sorts of responsibilities, of course, not least of which are the responsibilities that we have under canon law, which is like the church law and sits beside civil law in many of the aspects. So there have to be big decisions made about properties and about ministries and about 
how we provide for the sisters so that they are well provided for up until the last sister dies. And all of those projects take quite a bit of work to, um, to develop and it all has to be done in a sense with the full understanding and, um, and consent of the sisters and brothers themselves. So it's, it's, uh, it's complex work, but it's um, extraordinarily rewarding. And uh, I must say I'm in awe of those religious congregations that are completing that work now. And you see them, they have lived their lives so richly and so fully, and they're, they're really keen to keep going for as long as they possibly can. Certainly those sisters and, and sisters, uh, other groups of sisters we're working with, uh, are really thinking about what sort of a legacy they can leave. And it's usually something, if they have any funds left over at the end of this time, they they want to see that go into projects that will support um, the work that they have already been doing um, or supporting uh, areas of justice, particularly, uh, I think, in terms of Indigenous uh, rights and fostering uh, integrity in creation. Um, those are two big areas where a lot of sisters are and can be involved in doing good work. One final question. What advice would you give your younger self? Sometimes I think, Sarah, if I'd known the road in religious life that I have taken, would I have made the same decisions way back then when I was a youthful 20-year-old or something like that? And um, I, I, know, I know I have learned so much and been so enriched by my experiences and by what people have taught me. So I do know that I wouldn't have made any other decision than to consecrate my life in religious life. And I, I have loved that life, although it certainly had its challenges and there are certainly times when I perhaps, you know, regret decisions I've made or things that I've done, but uh, it's been a most enriching and fulfilling life and uh, one where I would want to express a lot of gratitude to my own congregation of Dominican sisters. Living as part of that and being part of that community is, is terribly important. Um, to me and, and to our sisters who are similarly seeking to live it out in, uh, with the spirit of, of justice and commitment to each other. Mm. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you, Sarah. You make it very easy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our first episode of Exceptional. If you liked this podcast, please give us a like, share it with your networks or leave us a review. And if you've got suggestions for ex-students that we can interview, drop us a line. We're happy to hear from you. Hope to see you soon.